Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, gang. Welcome to another exciting episode of National Bugle Radio on the Republic Broadcasting Network, that great network that you love to support by sending money and shekels, uh, money, which is as good as cash. And you can send that to uh, republicbroadcasting.org. Go there, click on the donate button, send money, keep this show going, uh, keep John Statmiller's great project going. And also uh, go to Republic, I'm sorry, go to nationalbugle.com and look for the Co-certified link. Click on that because Co-certified is lots of fun and it's getting only better. Uh, new features are being rolled out as we speak, including a, a feature that's telling you which advertisers uh, complied with the boycott of Tucker Carlson's show. We need to know these things, don't we, Mark? Uh, Mark Bangoff. Well, that's right, and uh, we've probably been boycotted in as in as many places as most people <laughs> anywhere in the world. But uh, absolutely, so uh, this whole business of supporting the right people with donations, having donors, uh, knowing who the bad people are, and uh, what they're trying to do, uh, not only with mainstream media but with infiltration of alternative media, uh, we need to keep our eye on all of this. Oh, we sure do. Yeah, there's. There's a lot out there. On Mark Collett's uh, weekly live stream last Wednesday, we had, I don't know if you've ever seen him. He's a young man. I, I, I was calling him Mark Green because I've been calling everybody Mark, um, but his name is something else Green. <laughs> Adam oh. Green. <laughs> Adam Green. Adam Green. He's got a channel. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called No More News. No More. And it's, it's spelled K-N-O-W. No More News. It uh, looks kind of like a Fox News logo, but no more news. And he's gone very, he is, um, he, he's very focused on the uh, the tribal question of, of this tribal control. And he does a, a pretty good job. Uh, I was surprised. I'm just bringing this up. Um, he uh, He's also gone after... Uh, Jones, uh, what's the guy's name? Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Yeah, yes. Alex Jones. And what I like about what Adam Green has done is is he's he's able to work at this full time, and so he's able to to devote the time to going through the video archives and finding all of these uh, clips of Alex Jones saying you know very contradictory things, like sometimes indicating that he knows exactly what's going on with uh, Israeli domination of our foreign policy or Jewish domination of, uh, you know, the, the Jewish role in gay marriage or whatnot. And then at other times, he comes out with complete disinformation where he's, he's saying that we've got, you know, communist Chinese control of America. Uh, and 
so this young man adam green has done a, a good job with that and he has a a big youtube channel uh i hope he continues to have a big youtube channel because these things can be taken away uh and are getting taken away but I, i'm just bringing that up i don't know why but we've got our own outlet and we have nationalbugle.com and we put up all sorts of great articles there if, if anybody is still going to drudge why why uh, go to nationalbugle.com you'll find much better you'll find links to much more important articles there what do we have up there this week well uh, let's take a look at a number of things in the different categories i'll try to move as quickly as possible because i know that you want to center tonight particularly on this so-called deal of the century uh, Trump's alleged deal of the century uh, for Israel and Palestine in a settlement between the two. Uh, so under war and foreign policy, you'll see a number of posts that deal with this so-called deal of the century. Uh, PLO chief negotiator Saeed Barakat, deal of the century, not, not a win-win equation that comes to us from Middle East Monitor. Uh, Scott Ritter from the American Conservative, we posted this one tonight. Is America ready for John Bolton's war with Iran? One of my relatives wrote in and said, no. Uh, was Hitler's attack on Russia defensive to foil an attack on Stalin? That comes to us from Ron Unz of and, Unz Review. Uh, Ron Unz, eh? What does Ron Unz say? I'm curious. Uh, in a nutshell, yes. <laughs> So in really? contrast to the whole issue of are we ready for Bolton's war with Iran, that draws a no. Was Hitler's attack on Russia defensive to foil an attack by Stalin? Uh, we just summed that one up in very fine post by Ron Unz at Russia Insider this time There's, by saying yes. There was a uh, uh, foreign policy professor. What was the guy's name? Ned? He was at Cornell University. Ned LeBeau, Ned LeBeau, L-E-B-O-W. So it sounds like LeBeau, like a French name, the beautiful, but no, it's it's probably LeBeau, Lebov or something like that. He's a Jew. And he had written a big book with a, what was his, I think Judith Stein with his with his partner. And they'd gone to Russia and they even even got an interview with, with uh, Gorbachev while Gorbachev was president. And his, uh, his whole take was that, Stalin was very risk averse. And when there was an opportunity that he could capitalize on at little risk, he'd jump for it, but w was unwilling to take on risk and therefore would not have um, attacked Germany. But of course, you know, Ned LeBeau was a, you know, he was, he was very much a, a you know, Zionist. And uh, is, was he really reliable? Uh, and I guess Ron Unz is saying no. So I don't know. I had always operated on that because I, I read Ned LeBeau in grad school. And so I always kind of just, it's some of the baggage that I've just carted around with me from academia. Uh, Stalin was risk averse. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe Ron Unz is right. Yes. So that's uh, definitely worth taking a look at. In terms of more stuff on our foreign policy board about the so-called deal of the century, uh, Middle East Monitor and Press Television Iran both report that an Israeli newspaper has published the details of the U.S. deal of the century. Uh, that's part of our conversation as soon as the uh, news summary is over. Uh, according to The Week, Trump is reportedly blaming Bolton for embroiling him in potential Venezuela quagmire. Trump is uh, blaming our, Bolton? Is Trump criticizing Bolton? 
Yes. And, uh, is he tweeting about him? How is, how is he doing this? Because this is big, if true. Well, I, I think the basic issue there is he is starting to feel, uh, if this report is accurate, that uh, Bolton got him into something that's a little stickier than the president anticipated it based on Bolton's advice, to which uh, we put up on the big board, potential quagmire? How about quagmire? Wait until the Russia-Iran quagmire, Mr. Trump, unless you plan to fire this idiot now with Pompeo as well. That was our editorial take on that. Okay, and, and I'm seeing this, is America ready for John Bolton's war with Iran? Um, by Scott Ritter. Scott Ritter. Does, does everybody remember Scott Ritter? The great arms negotiator who uh, is uh, a real insider when it comes to arms negotiation deals and verifying. Right. Yeah, arms he was an inspector. He was a, one of the weapons inspectors who was in Iraq before the Iraq war. Exactly. So, so this guy had it all right from the beginning and uh, certainly a guy who has been right all along. Uh, his views ought to take precedence over a bunch of people, including yeah. Bolton, who have been uh, selling us snake oil uh, over the same time frame. I met him, actually. I, I Somewhere I've got his email address. I, I did when I first started doing Dave, David Duke's show. I wrote to him to invite him on David Duke's show. Never got so probably the email address doesn't work anymore. But um, he yeah, he was a young he was a Marine. And so after the the Gulf War. There was a, a you know, an in, weapons inspection regime where uh, teams of rocket scientists, nuclear engineers, chemists, and bi biologists would go and inspect sites, potential weapons sites, and uh, they would be led by somebody who's not a scientist, but somebody who is a military person. And he was a, I don't know what his rank was, but he was a marine. And so he would lead the team. He would he was one of the team leaders and they'd go around and inspect weapons. And and so when uh, after 9-11, when there was this drumbeat for war with Iraq, he was going around the country saying, look, I've been at all these sites. Uh, you know, we've we've inspected them. They don't have these weapons of mass destruction. And then he was he was kind of me too, in a way, like they all of a sudden said that he had in he had been online. Uh, soliciting a date with a 16-year-old. Um, it was like some dating site, and she had said she was 18, but she was really 16. It was some weird thing. And then he was out of the picture for for um, a while, and that's when the war started. So uh, I'm just, just kind of filling in the blanks here. Yes. Uh, well taken and well remembered as you take back down memory lane and <laughs> such things, but uh, that's exactly right. So uh, evaluate it for what it is, folks, but uh, clearly there are two different perspectives on what happened in Iraq uh, and what's about to happen in Venezuela and Iran, apparently, uh, and certainly uh, Scott Ritter's perspective, I will vote for every time based upon his track record before uh, someone like John Bolton. Uh, we got a couple of posts up there on the uh, warnings of the Iranians in regard to their announcement of curbs on the nuclear deal. Uh, and by the way, Lavrov, I think, uh, is absolutely correct about this. It's the United States that has abrogated this deal unilaterally. Mm -hmm. They have slapped Zionist strangulations on Iran economically. It is the United States making overt moves to launch military assaults. Uh, Britain, who has been issuing warnings to Iran after Iran's very 
measured and careful announcement. Uh, Britain, uh, we need to remind ourselves, couldn't beat it, it beat its way out of a wet paper bag. Uh, and finally, uh, well, Russia they've got they've got wonderful leadership. Right? Yeah, that's right. Theresa May, and they've got a, you know brave police force uh, that that is keeping the streets safe for young British girls. Everything's really good in Britain. Yeah, it's been terrific. And uh, before the news summary ends, I will read some Rod Dreher gives us tonight from the American Conservative in regard to the latest government-imposed educational programs in British schools uh, that parents cannot get their kids out of, that the like church has given its approval to. We'll look at that before we jump back into this whole issue of the deal of the century. Finally, in terms of foreign policy, Boondoggle Incorporated, William D. Hartung and Mandy Smithberger from Lou Rockwell, uh, making sense of the 1.25 trillion national security state budget. Uh, under immigration and demographics, uh, we're reminding people of both the CS and HB 741 in Florida, that bill on anti-Semitism. Uh, we have posted the Florida State Senate website and the text of this Florida law outlawing anti-Semitism. Uh, and then uh, from Florida Watchdog, we have a post entitled Florida Legislature Delivers Anti-Semitism Law mm -hmm. for DeSantis to Sign in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Now, our uh, editorial comment here says the unanimous vote for this legislation uh, outlawing assertions that the Jews control the government is in no way an indication. <laughs> that the Jews actually control the government. Uh, that's what we say about that at National Bugle Radio News, folks, as you're listening to us on RBN uh, next hour. Yeah, and it, uh, wasn't, it wasn't just a unanimous vote, but in the Senate, every, every state senator on the floor uh, was not just, it's not just that they voted for it, but they were co-sponsors of the legislation. That's right. And there's no truth to the rumor that every senator either was circumcised for the first time or recircumcised prior oh, yeah, re to the. That's right. Recircumcised. Uh, no, no truth that rumor that that took place on the on the floor of the Senate uh, in Florida in their state uh, Senate legislative uh, milieu, but nonetheless. In election uh, news, uh, just is, is there any truth to the rumors I've heard that Andrew Yang says he can get our foreskins back? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I think know. it's like an ancient Chinese them. remedy. Yeah haven't seen that one uh that might have something to do with all kinds of things chinese um uh, and of course uh you know i only see a chinese acupuncturist i won't with that source to see if there's anything true to this rumor on yang and what he's able okay. to do by the way can you hear mr t snoring okay. uh no okay good uh, that's the audience. No, Snoring that, that, up a storm, but... Uh, that's right. right. Now, folks, these are hard news stories. We have to get uh, through at least two or three more of these before we get back to the deal of the century. Uh, under election and politics, uh, from the New American Tonight, a post from R. Court Kirkwood, entitled, One Dead Shooting Suspect Posted Anti-Christian, Anti-Trump Messages, The Other Thinks She's a Boy. Uh, that's for real, folks. Read what he says at the New American on the profiles of these two yahoos that were involved in these shootings in Denver. Haven't heard this in mainstream media driving uh, around San Antonio with ABC News on during the day. But yeah. lo and behold, the New American tells us who these folks really are. Well, yeah. And I and of course, one of the classmates is saying, well, you know, 
he is he needed mental help um yeah yeah he is a is a girl and thinks he's a boy or she's a boy yes of course a big surprise big imagine our shock um yeah uh, absolutely shocked you know uh we had uh, we had all these ideas that the people that did this uh, were people who either voted for pat buchanan or ron paul or uh, chuck baldwin of the constitution party who was running uh at least according to what the adl uh, was saying to federal law enforcement when they were setting up profiles of domestic terrorists uh we were uh taking that uh particular understanding of the adl in regard to developing profiles on domestic terrorists for the federal government uh in addition to voting for buchanan ron paul or chuck baldwin if you're a male if you're white if you're concerned about the new world order if you think israel has influence in american foreign policy and that it controls much of what goes on in our government if you think jews are the primary force in our six major media consortiums if you're a peaceful law-abiding citizen who happens to own one or more weapons legally, if you are pro-life, wanting to protect the lives of unborn children, if you believe that marriage is something that God has ordained uh, that should take place between one man and one woman, uh, you clearly, the profile of somebody that the FBI and the feds and the ADL and the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, may well have to hunt down mm -hmm. because uh, according to the definition that was provided uh, to Missouri state law enforcement uh, during the uh, 2006 elections, I believe, or I'm sorry, the 2008 elections. Uh, that is the uh, profile of a domestic terrorist, according to the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith. And of course, when this managed to leak out, courtesy of Chuck Baldwin, uh, all of a sudden the feds were being totally silent uh, and one did not hear anything further about this particular development going on both in the state of missouri uh, as well as allegedly in other states where the adl was assisting the feds uh, in creating a zionist police state that, uh, speaking of the zionist police state just um it, if you think maybe the uh, emperor's has no clothes um actually he's prancing down the street stark naked molesting your wife and kids yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, you look at this uh, <laughs> this entire situation, folks, going on in the United States and the Western world, and uh, it is really serious stuff. And uh, lest we think it's not that serious, take a look at what we also have under elections and politics in our news summary. And Sims, bigot for the left. Rod Dreher from the American Conservative, who is an Orthodox Christian, uh, tells us about U.S. Representative Brian Sims. Uh, fag Pennsylvania, I mean Democrat Pennsylvania, who gets his jollies mocking Is he a U.S. representative or a state representative? Uh, I thought he was a U.S. rep, but uh, he's some sort of a perverted rep in the Democratic <laughs> okay. Party of Pennsylvania. If, if, if we have mistyped him as a U.S. representative, that actually I makes think he's I think better. he's Pennsylvania. I think he's in the state legislature. Be that as it may. Be that as it may, uh, he apparently showed up at a pro-life observance that was peaceful. Uh, people who were praying, older mm -hmm. folks uh, who were uh, peacefully protesting abortion uh, within the required legal distance from a Planned Parenthood clinic. Uh, Mr. Sims, and uh, the video is there to prove this, was harassed yeah. uh, this gathering 
uh, he was belittling an elderly lady uh, that was carrying a Roman Catholic rosary. And uh, we just suggested well, editorially to Mr. Sims that we hope he comes down and tries that in Texas. Okay. Well, we are up on the break. Um, yes, by the way, he's also a, a gay activist. I don't know. Yes, uh, yes, Big exactly. Surprise. Okay, well, we'll be right back on the other side of the break. back we are back so uh yes the uh emperor's naked and our state legislatures are harassing women praying uh because that's not gay enough i don't know uh what's next well let's see up at nationalbugle.com for listeners as well as people listening later in the archives and as well as people who read us every night uh here are some posts uh, that we will continue with, and then we'll get back to the so-called deal of the century. RT posts that an ex-U.S. intelligence analyst is charged with leaking top-secret drone strike documents to a journalist. It is believed uh, that this journalist is working for The Intercept, according to RT, uh, but that's about all that we know about this. The RT Intercept, also, well, who works at The Intercept? Glenn Greenwald Glenn is Greenwald one, is, Yeah, he's the most high-profile. I think he's one of the co-founders. Yes. So uh, that bears watching. RT also indicates, and we've been listening to this one in our own uh, news on the radio in San Antonio, if you've been driving in traffic all day, the Facebook co-founder says it's time to break up the social media giant in a scathing op-ed. Well worth our time to look at that. John Solomon from The Hill reports that the Ukrainian embassy confirms uh, that a DNC contractor solicited Trump dirt in 2016. Surprise, surprise, mm -hmm. it comes to us from John Solomon from The Hill. Tyler Durden has a fascinating piece at Lou Rockwell. I haven't finished it yet, but it's it's very compelling. Christopher Steele, Tyler tells us, made damning pre-FISA confession. The FBI retroactively classified it. Okay. That's from uh, Tyler Durden and Lou Rockwell. And by uh, the way, by the way, on uh, the John Batchelor show this week on Tuesday evening, uh, Stephen Cohen was on there, and Stephen Cohen was was asserting that there's absolutely no evidence that anything, any of the information in Christopher Steele's dossier came from Russia, that, that according to Professor Cohen, th the origin of these malicious lies was intelligence services, most likely the CIA, uh, under John Brennan. And of course, we know John Brennan was very much involved in this. Uh, I, I know that uh, Victoria Newland, she has admitted that in, I guess in 2016, that she received the Steele dossier. Why? I don't know. I mean, she's at the State Department. Um, you know, if you ever watch Sean Hannity, and I, I doubt you do, but if you do, he would always, his his whole response to the uh, the Russia hoax was that, the real Russia collaborators were, were was Hillary Clinton. She was a real collaborator, and you know she paid for all these Russian lies. They were Russian lies, and um, so Russia is still the enemy. Russia is still the enemy. It's just the Democrats are the real Russian collaborators. Uh, that's right, and uh, the Democratic uh, Party loves Russia in the yeah. communist era. 
Democratic Party uh, moguls and activists hate a post-communist Christian Russia that is anti-New World Order. That's my editorial remark on how they have switched sides ideologically, as the right has, the real right has, on this whole issue of Russia, uh, slowly but surely after the collapse of the old Soviet Union. A couple of other things here. Uh, Larry C. Johnson from Consortium News continues along these lines with a great article entitled How U.S. and Foreign Intelligence Agencies Interfered in a U.S. Election, the 2016 U.S. Election. And then uh, Tyler Durden again from Zero Hedge, just another human being, Rachel Maddow's, Maddow's latest resistance hero. John Bolton, figure that one out, friends. Uh, it's not Mike that hard. Trump. It's not that hard. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Not that hard to figure that one out. Uh, e. Michael Jones of the Roman Catholic Culture Wars, terrific guy. I read his magazine. It is terrific journalism, folks. You don't have to be Roman Catholic to enjoy the insights and the and the wealth of information in it. He was interviewed by Press Television Iran for a few minutes. We posted it. The Israeli lobby wants to criminalize disagreement with Jews. That's uh, Mike Jones summarizing what obviously uh, is contained in many of our headlines. And then Ron Campia said the Jewish Telegraphic Agency mm -hmm. has a marvelous uh, kosher piece entitled Five Jewish Things to Know About Joe Biden. We realized by saying three immediately come to mind. Biden supports queer marriage, abortion on demand, and Zio wars for Israel. Uh, what the other ones were that Campias had in mind, uh, we did not bother to summarize. Then uh, again, Ron Traher, uh, under other news, will uh, try to rush this up to get back to the deal of the century, or the non-deal of the century. The English Catholic Church surrendered Traher's uh, some, uh, story from the American conservative. The English Catholic Church, folks, has endorsed... Uh, what I have termed international faggotry officially, by approving of the UK government relationships and sex education program known as RSE. No parental rights, teaching four-year-olds about transgenderism and other perv activities. And uh, what does this say about both the English Catholic Church uh, and the current gentleman who occupies the position as Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, but it's all right out there. Rod Traher, of course, is a very fine Orthodox Christian. He's articulate. He's careful, very fine journalist. He doesn't throw stuff around that's not been researched and that isn't true. Take a look at this. It's up on our big board. Uh, we wanted to thank Don Wassel of the Nationalist Times and the American Freedom Union for reposting the classic Jonas C. Alexis interview with yours truly on RT. It's speared the rotund Katie Zavatsky of the Daily Beast right through her nose oh ring. Gosh. That was our editorial. Oh, she doesn't really have a nose ring, does she? Uh, yes, she does. Oh, you God. check this out online. That's absolutely factual, unless she's had it removed. But at the That's time she was attacking me, she, she didn't have one. That's two crazy. more things. Okay, well, let's get to the two more things after the break. Great. Hey, gang. Patrick Slattery here with an important message that is pertinent to anyone who shops for groceries, eats food, or just has an inquisitive mind like myself. What I'm about to introduce you to is a segment of our food culture that has been kept so low profile for the American public that virtually no one is aware of how dominant it is on our refrigerator and cupboard shelves. What I'm talking about is the kosher certification industry and the new app, Koshertified, that delivers a comprehensive education on all aspects regarding this little known practice. After reviewing this app, I found that it is useful for practically anyone to purchase a food regardless of their religious faith or identity. 
its database of products not kosher certified is a win-win convenience for all food conscious people. So why not check out the kosherquestion.com or click on the link at nationalbugle.com and see how modifying your grocery shopping with the Co-Certified app can make a huge difference for your future. And we're back. Okay, we have a couple of more pieces to get to. Yes, yeah, just two more and uh, that we'll mention that we'll dive into the so-called and deal of the century. Of course, everybody can find these at nationalbugle.com. That's National right. The big board is at nationalbugle.com. We occasionally have people, thanks to uh, Russian social media, V Contacta, and other places around the world, uh, where folks uh, outside the United States are reading our big board, folks. Uh, right. And we are very appreciative of that, and we hope that uh, those of you listening via RBN will post our uh, big board link to friends who can keep an eye on the news uh, on a pretty regular basis as we try to post things that are the most re- relevant things. Uh, two more items. Uh, we have noted already on this show that the late German Lutheran editor, Hermann Otten of Christian News, has passed away. Uh, the Institute for Historical Review, uh, Mark Weber. It's a very fine site and organization. Uh, Had Herman Otten as a speaker in 1989 at a National Institute of Historical Review conference. Pastor Otten delivered an address that is freely available to you in several places. We posted it from the Institute for Historical Review, uh, and it is entitled A Christian Responsibility to Truth. And I wanted to say on the air that we thank Weber, the head of the IHR, who not only noted the passing of German Lutheran pastor and Christian news editor Herman Otten in his official Institute of Historical Review newsletter just released this week, but Mark Weber also informed his readers of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch story on Pastor Otten's passing and this 1989 address, which we now have posted for you at nationalbugle.com, where Herman Otten addressed the National Conference of the IHR. Uh, that year. This is a terrific presentation, and you can go back in time 30 years to see what Herman Otten was saying then and what he believed until his last dying breath. So National Bugle Radio News salutes Pastor Herman Otten of Christian News again, as we do Mark Weber, the Institute for Historical Review, who's not only a fantastic historian and a great summarizer of news. Uh, I attended one of his conferences years ago in Virginia. This guy is a very bright fellow, folks. And he's always been very congenial to me. And uh, I just uh, have gotten along with Mark very well over the years. And he has from time to time fired things my way uh, to put up on our big board. And then uh, we'll put two uh, more of these up. And then we get into the deal of the century. Okay. Uh, we entitled this one. And, and Give us a, just yes. before we get to the deal of the century, uh, because it'll be hard to say some of these things after having talked about it. It's, it's pretty depressing. But, uh, you know, I have talked about the, the Judaita, a Jewish-centered uh, coup d'etat against Donald Trump, which I think, at, at, as we speak today, uh, Donald Trump, the Donald Trump that we elected isn't really exercising power. Um, I think from the very beginning, there's been a struggle. Professor Cohen, on that same broadcast that I, I referenced, and I played a, a clip of this a couple of days ago, was saying that... Um, because of the, the the whole Russiagate hoax, this whole Russia hoax against him, that uh, he felt that, well, okay, that if you look at the, you know, 
Trump campaigned on non-interventionist foreign policy on improving relations with Russia. And if you look around at his, you know, he has surrounded himself with John Bolton and Mike Pompeo and a bunch of horrible people who have a, a very, very different uh, foreign policy He's, that is being implemented. And so either Trump wasn't sincere or uh, because of all this Russiagate stuff, he's he felt compelled to you know deflect criticism that he is a uh, a Russian puppet by hiring uh, anti-Russian hawks like Pompeo and Bolton. Uh, Cohen doesn't say which which of those two he believes it is, but but I know he believes it's the latter, and I that's what I think. Uh, I I think that Trump. His, he's gotten in over his head. He doesn't know what he's doing. And for the time being, he seems he seems lost. I, I thought at the end of last year when he fired Mattis and then he scheduled a meeting with uh, Kim Jong-un and he announced that we were withdrawing from Syria and that we would withdraw from Afghanistan. I thought, OK, Trump is is trying to take fight back against the Jude d'etat. But of course, now uh, the things that we've been talking about the past couple of weeks with Venezuela and the things we've been talking about with Iran and now now this deal of the century um it seems bad i you know i was encouraged that he had this um 90 minute talk last friday with uh president putin and apparently that was that was trump's initiative it wasn't putin's initiative he called putin and i uh, you know you mentioned that there there are reports that he's blaming John Bolton for embroiling him in the Venezuelan quagmire. But of course, according to the Washington Post, at least John Bolton's position is still secure. He's not at risk. And so as long as Bolton and Pompeo are there, uh, the the Jude d'etat is, is in effect. I, I mean, maybe hope springs eternal. I, I have been a big show for Donald Trump. I hope, I hope that Donald Trump, we get elected, comes back. I'm not counting on it. And so as for right now, I'm kind of officially off the Trump train and I'm on the Tulsi Gabbard surfboard. And I will say that the view is a lot better, um, but uh, we'll see. OK. Uh, and, and then uh, just to wrap this up, and we'll jump into the deal of the century. Uh, we put this uh, on, in other news, folks, with under our give us a break department. Uh, what is the best restaurant in Philadelphia, according to CNN? Uh, it is Zahav, Z-A-H-A-V, and they weepingly said specializing in Zionist war party cuisine. Uh, we editorialized on this. You figure how serious we're being at this point. Given the predictably number one national ranking in cuisine, given Zahav in Philadelphia by CNN, since Wolf Blitzer ghost wrote the article and judged the contest, more impartial observers may want to know that David Duke, Pat Buchanan, the late Hermann of Christian News and German Lutheran pastor all contracted polonium-210 poisoning, eating lunch there once. Uh, they do have a special seating it's arrangement a, it's there. It's an for Israeli myself. restaurant. It's an Israeli restaurant, I take it, right? That's right. It, Israeli restaurant, and I presumably there is a Mossad Kaidan seating section there. One other thing, folks, and it does come from my Mark Dankoff's America, uh, this deals with Ralph Reed. The ADL and the Family Values President. This goes back a few years, but it is a classic example of my longtime corroboration and collaboration uh, with Herman Otten of Christian News. 
the editorial comment here says that the tag team, the ADL of B'nai B'rith, feared the most in religious journalism was Hermann Otten of the German Lutheran newspaper Christian News and German Lutheran broadcaster and journalist Mark Dankoff. Both were libeled officially by the ADL in their file arrangements online when they collaborated on articles with subjects ranging from Mossad false flags and the whelming Jewish support for abortion and gay marriage to the USS Liberty tragedy, 9-11, and assorted puppet patty wastes like Ralph Reed. So take a look at that, folks. This is a classic from the more distant past, an example of the type of thing that made Herman Otten, in particular, of Christian News, uh, a, a name that the ADL of B'nai B'rith absolutely feared uh, because of the amount of truth uh, delivered up very bluntly by Herman Otten of Christian News since 1962, which leads us to the deal of the century. What's the what deal we, of the century? Does it involve Montgomery? What was that guy who did the um, sale of the century, Montgomery something? Is it? Oh, never mind. It was a, a game show. Okay, what's Montgomery the deal? Montgomery Ward. I don't. Yes, Montgomery. Ward. No, not Montgomery Ward. Not a bad joke. Okay. Uh, the deal of the century, folks. Uh, Donald Trump has been talking to us about the so-called deal of the century, uh, that in fact is supposedly going to usher in uh, just this wonderful new era. Uh, in regard to the Israeli-Palestinian question and what will be a deal that nobody will be able to turn down, according to the president. Now, Middle East Monitor uh, is arguably the place to turn to on this under our war and foreign policy big board at nationalbugle.com because they have posted, of course, that this Israeli newspaper published the details of the U.S. deal of the street. Uh, and, of course, that was a Hebrew language Israeli paper. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, Saeed Erekat, the very famous PLO chief negotiator, uh, has a post on May 3rd dealing with this deal of the century. He says it's not a win-win equation when you actually look at purportedly and reportedly what's in this deal that is going to be announced, uh, this proposed deal of the century. Uh, and just so that everyone knows what I've concluded on this, uh, I agree with Saeed Arakat, the chief PLO negotiator, that when you read through what is actually in this, this is not a negotiation. This is a dictation. This is not a win-win equation. Uh, it is a win for Israel uh, and a very, very uh, raw deal, again, for, for the Palestinians. Okay. Who have been used to raw deals since 1948. Uh, but when you read the details of this, uh, well, it continues, as Erekat tells us, to uh, allow for all kinds of things that well, let's are get a to the details. violation of international law. Let's get to the details. And by the way, I was thinking of Monty Hall, Montgomery Hall on uh, well, sure, let's, let's make a deal. Well, let's, let's make a deal. Make a deal yeah. Guy, yeah. Yeah, deal of the century or the sale of the century, I think, was Joe Garagiola. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go for it. What are the details? Well, let's see. If you look through the details, uh, this uh, is a uh, is an arrangement that. Uh, well, one, one I remember was that Israel gets to keep all of their settlements. Yeah, that's basically it, and uh, and they have sovereignty Eric, over them, and then basically right annex them to uh, Israel, right? Yeah, I mean, basically what you've got here 
And uh, Arakat does uh, reiterate a constant position, as he puts it, of the Palestinian leadership, that any solutions that rule out the international resolutions, underscore that one, folks, rule out the international resolutions and the creation of a sovereign Palestinian state with East Jerusalem as its capital will be rejected. Uh, Arakat goes on to say what I would say about this deal as a non-Palestinian, just reading about it, knowing a little bit about the history of this whole mess. All decisions of the U.S. administration regarding Jerusalem, Palestinian refugees, illegal settlements, borders, and annexation of the occupied Palestinian territories and the occupied Syrian Golan Heights are null and void and flagrant violations of international law, quote unquote. And then, of course, everything that Trump has done since December of 2017 uh, underscores that this is a very remark by Saeed Arakat. And then, of course, if we go back to the other article, which we have posted, uh, just talking about the Israeli newspaper publishing the details of this deal of the century, it is fascinating to me that according to Middle East Monitor, as we begin to look at some of the details in this May 8th story, is that uh, the, uh, the Gulf states are going to provide 70% of the money uh, to implement this so-called deal of the century. An Israeli uh, Hebrew language paper called Israel Hayom published these main points of the deal from a leaked document circulated by the Israeli Foreign Ministry. So this is the same sort of thing that we have here with folks with certain things winding up with the New York Times and the Washington Post that shouldn't be here, be there, uh, but that's okay uh, as long as that's playing into the grand design of the government. Uh, on the other hand, if Julian Assange or somebody at The Intercept uh, is doing something uh, that the Zionist government of the United States doesn't like, mm -hmm. uh, these guys are defined as criminals. Okay. Uh, but if you look at the timing of this deal, too, the U.S. has said that it will reveal its deal after, after the Muslim month of fasting comes to an end in early June. Uh, the timing of that uh, is very, very interesting. Yeah. The main points of this deal are mm -hmm. put together by Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Yeah, can I read some of these main points? Just sure, quickly? go ahead. Absolutely. All right, All right. so we've got um, the settlement blocks in the West Bank, the occupied West Bank, would form part of Israel. Okay. That's, I mean, that's a non-starter for the Palestinians because it chops up the West Bank. Yeah. It's a violation of international law and UN resolutions. Right. And, and Arakat is provably right about that. Jerusalem will not be divided and it, and Israel will maintain control over it. Palestinians living in Jerusalem, though, would not get Israeli citizenship. They'd have Palestinian citizenship and therefore they'd be foreigners, but they'd still have to pay taxes to uh, to Israel. That's right. Um, That's a real sovereign state, isn't it, folks? Oh, yeah. That, I mean, this is such a retreat from, uh, you know, uh, so Jerusalem was supposed to be divided and, and in, in previous uh, peace proposals, it was supposed to be divided and each country would have their capital there. So it's, it's now it's not going to be divided. It's forever part of Israel. Egypt will offer uh, the Palestinian state land for an airport, factories, and agriculture, like farms for Gaza, although the Palestinians won't be able to live there. I guess they just have to commute back and forth. 
Gaza and the West Bank will be connected by a elevated highway 30 meters, 100 feet above Israel. That's going to be really easy to defend, isn't it? Uh, yes, and uh, Chinese funded, uh, a Chinese funded highway, right. according Israel to Israel pays for nothing. Israel gives up nothing. They pay for nothing. They get everything. Palestine would not be allowed to form an army. Okay. Uh, upon the signing of the agreement, Hamas has to hand over all of its weapons to Egypt. If if Hamas or any other group refuses, then uh, they they're going to be um, subjected to to war. Uh, and, and then let's see, the Jordan Valley, which is the river that flows between the West Bank and Jordan, will remain in Israeli hands. So so the West Bank, this Palestinian state, would be completely surrounded by uh by israel exactly exactly uh so as you start looking at this whole thing uh this deal but according to this leak the united states and the eu and the gulf states would fund and sponsor the deal for five years to establish the state of new palestine mm -hmm. It kind of sounds like well uh, it uh, editorializing getting back to our big board for a moment uh, uh, I said editorially that the Mueller report and the Steele dossier have more credibility than this thing does, and that the deal of the century is more of what one shovels out of the horse. But uh, this is going to cost yeah. $6 billion a year, the majority of which, 70%, as I cited earlier, would be paid for by the Gulf states, the U.S. contributing 20%, the EU 10%. And uh, so there you have that, uh, that whole situation. Uh, New Palestine, of course, I think you have pretty much summarized the other elements yeah. of this. It's and, not a state. Uh, it's not a state. It's, a, it's just a giant prison camp. We, we have to go to the break, but we'll be right back. after Ramadan. How do you think it's going to be received? And, and um, does it at all play in with all the saber rattling against Iran that's going on? I think that it does. And I think you've touched upon something that is the most ominous big picture problem as it uh, relates to the Trump administration and what is basically the Zionist foreign policy of both parties uh, as that shows up on Capitol Hill. I have predicted all along that a pro-Zionist lackey uh, will be the nominee of the Democratic Party in 2020 when one understands how these things are funded uh, and who is already positioned to do Netanyahu's bidding if they should be uh, coronated as the Democratic nominee of the 2020 convention uh, that uh, whose nominee will face Donald Trump presumably that fall. Uh, and as we look at the so-called Trump foreign policy, for those of you who listen to the Republic Broadcasting Network and Rents Radio, uh, who read uh, Don Wassel's The Nationalist Times, who for years have read the very fine American free press. Uh, in all of these other outlets, electronic and print, uh, that are pretty much saying the kinds of things that we would say here. When we evaluate the Trump presidency, I think first and foremost, uh, when we start thinking about the three or four issues that drove those of us on the right, uh, the anti-New World Order and a war 
anti-Zile war, right? To vote for Trump, first and foremost, he wasn't Hillary Clinton, uh, which meant that we would have voted for anyone against Clinton uh, in that election without apology. But in Mr. Trump's case, his deviations from his campaign promises are absolutely disturbing, as it, as it is clear that Bolton and Pompeo representing the people who are leading Trump around by the nose are creating a catastrophe for the United States and Venezuela in that country. A catastrophe is ongoing in the Middle East as this so-called deal of the century and the saber rattling against Iran uh, seem to be dovetailing into what can best be seen as a Zio foreign policy, the latest escalation in Zio wars as people like Bolton and Pompeo uh, are basically running the foreign policy of the United States, arguably uh, for the people who run things in the United States and have for many decades. And Donald Trump, it would appear, uh, is relatively helpless to stop this uh, or unwilling to stop it. Uh, so this raises many, many questions, not only about how much longer we have before we're in a real, real war, but it also raises questions uh, about our policy toward Russia and our policy with NATO of continuing to build up circle Putin, both in eastern Russia as well as on his southern underbelly, uh, hence the illegal coup d'etat that we backed in Ukraine, just being one example of this. And when you start looking at the whole picture, uh, it begs the question not only how much longer we have before we are embroiled in what mm. could be the final war of all of world history. We don't know that certainly, but it looks very, very draconian at this point. And if we do make, where do those of us on the real right go uh, in terms of voting? Yeah. Uh, we know we're not for any Democratic candidate for obvious reasons. This then leaves the whole question of do we hold our noses and vote for Trump? Uh, is Would there be a viable third party protest candidate out there that we could go for? But it clearly is a situation where at this point, we, uh, we're simply up against it and up against the wall at yep. this juncture. I don't really know what to tell people uh, if we have a ballot box in 2020. Well, we have, we, have time to, we have time to work that out. Uh, yes, but, hopefully we do. Uh, but this is a very serious situation, uh, and it defies uh, any attempt on my part uh, to tell people what I think yeah. is a viable political solution and a viable political alternative for all of us approaching uh, what could even be a worse election yeah. and a worse scenario than will be faced in 2016. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much. So just to sum it up, the uh, the deal of the century would turn the West Bank into Gaza and it would turn Gaza into this, this sick Jewish imaginary vision of Auschwitz. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, that was a, a fun show. And thank you very much, Mark. And we'll be back again next time with another exciting episode of National People Radio.
none of these things happen for no reason. You know, like there's a reason why Bear Stearns was selected to die. You know, they were selected to die because they, they weren't one of the boys, because they couldn't be counted on to take their licks. So they were chosen for execution. And, and the Bear Stearns thing really ended up being a recapitalization of J.P. Morgan, because they wound Bear Stearns into J.P. Morgan. Okay, Lehman Brothers, they did the same thing. Another recapitalization of J.P. Morgan, because J.P. Morgan was up to their necks in this too. Reluctant Preppers provides educational awareness and commentary only. Opinions expressed do not constitute personalized financial advice. Viewers are encouraged to do their own research and seek qualified personal financial consultation before making investment decisions. As a responsible person with growing concerns for your privacy and personal liberty, you want to know where we're headed and what you can do about it. We ask the experts what you need to do to take prudent and responsible action to safeguard your family's wealth and well-being and what basic first steps will help you to be aware and prepared. ReluctantPreppers.com Welcome back, Reluctant Preppers. We're delighted to have this returning guest, Rob Kirby, a favorite of our viewers as a proprietary analyst at KirbyAnalytics.com. Rob, thanks for joining us again here on Reluctant Preppers. Pleasure to be with you again, Dunnigan. Today is Monday, April 8th, 2019. And in contrast with our usual habit of throwing a lot of viewers' questions at you, instead, we're going to ask you if we could talk about some major trends that are uh, not dollar-friendly that you're seeing uh, unfolding in our in our current world today. Could we kick us off with uh, something you touched on in a previous interview, and that is the principle of what's happening with one of the major components of the Dow 30, that is Boeing specifically, versus Trump's uh, touting of trade talks with China and how that's going to be a big move forward for our country. Sure, uh, Dunnigan, be happy to touch on that subject. Uh, first and foremost, uh, people would be would do well to realize that Boeing represents the biggest uh, component of U.S. exports to the rest of the world. So uh, how many airplanes Boeing is producing and selling abroad uh, has a profound influence on and uh, on the on the balance of trade merchandise trade deficit for America, and as such, uh, my my feeling and my uh, uh, my intuition tells me that any any comprehensive trade deal that America would be involved with, uh, let's just say regarding China, it would almost necessarily have to have a large Boeing component to it. Uh, in terms of trying to balance the trade between America uh, and China, because America has a big trade deficit with China. And with, with Boeing, uh, seemingly to me anyway, almost admitting that their uh, prospects for selling planes in the civilian market anyway are dead in the water. And this was evidenced by last Friday when Boeing announced that they were cutting production of the 737 uh, model of airplane from uh, 52 planes a month down to 42 planes a month, which represents almost a 20% decline in production. And you know this this is only roughly a month after uh, the 737 uh, fleet uh, globally was grounded. And so my question becomes, uh, like. What are the prospects for Boeing going forward? Is Boeing likely to be reducing the number of 737s being produced on a monthly basis 
Are we likely to see further cuts uh, in, in the near future? My guess is probably yes, because I feel that uh, much of the world has lost faith in Boeing to supply a product that people can trust and believe in. And the ramifications and implications as, as that reverberates back through the supply chain, uh, being one of America's biggest dollar uh, producers uh, contributing to the, to the balance of trade picture, uh, I have to wonder if, if, if America could very likely and conceivably be, uh, you know, facing some sort of a recession in, in the relatively near future. And this is just based on Boeing alone, because Boeing is that important to the, uh, uh, to the trade picture. So, so to me, what's occurred at Boeing, uh, it, muddies, it muddies the likelihood of there being a trade, a comprehensive trade agreement. And it, and it also increases the likelihood that we see uh, uh, some sort of a, a recession, um, or, or certainly it takes the starch out of the uh, all's well in the American economy picture that's being fed to us as a narrative in the mainstream financial press. So anyway, both of these things are negative developments and, and, and they're not dollar friendly. Makes you kind of wonder, how successful America is going to be, uh, like how successful the dollar is going to be on a go-forward basis, and and what and what kind of appetite there's going to be uh, globally for U.S. government debt, uh, because the uh, deficits, the, the budget deficits continue to grow, and uh, I mean I remember a time when foreign participation mm -hmm. and U.S. government debt auctions was was essential and a requirement. That doesn't seem to be the case so much these days, as foreigners have been quite absent from uh, U.S. government debt auctions. So uh, things don't look completely friendly for the dollar or the dollar's prospects going forward. And that should give a lot of people reason for some concern, I believe. You're right. You and others who we had on last year talked about uh, Russia and China potentially pivoting away from and, and divesting themselves of U.S. debt, and you say you know the, that the uh, the willingness to purchase new U.S. debt is just dried up from an from an external uh, country standpoint. So who is purchasing the debt? And you've you've talked to us in the past about how we've never had a failed bond auction. Well, I, to me, I find that incredibly odd too, because I you know I've, I have made mention of that on on numerous occasions and in numerous interviews in, in different places. The, the United States is the only debt issuing sovereign in the world that I'm aware of that has never had a failed bond auction. And uh, it, you see, I, I come from a background where, where I was uh, engaged in uh, a bro being a broker of US government debt and Canadian government debt and provincial debt and, you know, uh, as, as, a, as a participant and a player in those markets for, for quite some time uh, of my working, professional working life, uh, you know, like, I mean, Ger Germany, who is a better credit than, than America, has had failed bond auctions, mm -hmm. okay? But America is a lesser credit who issues way more debt. They've never had one. Canada has had failed bond auctions. 
uh, or abandoned bond auctions. But I mean, you know, like the, the, the notion that America has never ever had a, had a failed bond auction sort of tells me like the odds of that being, uh, being natural or, or plausible is, is like, is like a Navy saying that they have a fleet of ships and none of them have ever sunk. <laughs> and I mean, and yet they've been engaged in wars and they've been engaged in battles and naval engagements, but their ships never sink. So, you know, you can think about that if you want to, you might want to think long and hard on that because, uh, the, the, the odds, the odds, uh, the odds that this would be natural, uh, don't, don't really, don't really measure up when, when you compare, uh, you know, apples to apples with other, with other debt issuing sovereign entities. And also, uh, speaking of like uh, China and Russia, you've mentioned also about rising geopolitical tensions surrounding Venezuela and that being part of a, a picture that, that doesn't bode well for, you know, these harmonious expanding uh, trade agreements and everything going forward. What do you see happening there? Well, I mean, Russia, Russia currently has military boots on the ground in Venezuela. Uh, China currently has military boots on the ground in Venezuela. And to me, this becomes or, or, or makes the prospects of America doing a foreign intervention uh, in Venezuela or do, doing an, a military intervention in Venezuela. It makes it a lot more problematic. And it makes the whole idea, I mean, in, in past interventions that America has engaged in, like when, when, when America attacked uh, Iraq, they had, a, they had a coalition of countries uh, supporting them. When America attacked Libya, they had a coalition of countries supporting them. I, I don't see there being a coalition of allies of America joining them to fight the Russians and the Chinese and the Venezuelans in Venezuela, because I don't believe there's going to be any foreign appetite to become engaged in, in a conflict with major powers uh, that are currently uh, that currently have boots on the ground in Venezuela. And this so this becomes very, very problematic. I mean, we're told we're told uh, in, even in the alternative press, we're told that the prospects of America becoming militarily engaged in Venezuela has to do with fears of a collapsing Venezuela sending sending a throng of uh, migrants or possible migrants forward um, uh, or, or northward mm -hmm. to America, creating a bigger problem on the southern border. Uh, I don't buy into that narrative for a minute because I believe that it has everything to do with Venezuela selling their oil or the oil or much of the oil they are producing, they're selling it for non-dollars as in they're selling it for Chinese currency. Mm -hmm. And I feel that this has a very, very, very big impact on why America feels that there needs to be regime change in, in Venezuela, despite, despite the narratives that are coming out of the mainstream. Because it just seems to me, Dunnigan, right now, everything, everything is, about, is about the dollar. I mean, America, America's, there are tensions right now between America and Venezuela, there are tensions and you know there were tensions between America and Libya, 
and Olivia came out on the short end of the stick on that one. Tensions were between America and Iraq, uh, and uh, you know, and Iraq was invaded. America has ongoing issues with with Iran, like like America doesn't have any issues with countries that produce broccoli or Brussels sprouts, <laughs> but they do have plenty of problems with countries around the world who produce oil or energy and they want to sell it in other than dollars, and you know, and, and, and for those who might point out, well, Syria doesn't produce a lot of oil. Well, Syria may, may very well not produce a lot of oil, but Syria happens to be a strategic piece of property where, 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 where very key pipelines were, were being proposed to run through to basically uh, have Russia supply Western Europe and, and, uh, and, and, other, and other countries. Uh, with oil, the principal pipelines were proposed to run through Syria, and uh, so so there's an energy component there too. But so it just seems to me that the that the real issue, the real issue that uh, is confronting America uh, and and America's position as the world's reserve currency with the dollar, ha have to do with energy. And, and truth be told, I really believe that a big part of the reason why America has ramped up their uh, shale oil production is because America needs to have more oil on the world market priced in dollars. The percentage of world oil production priced in dollars has diminished in recent years. With, with with China basically demanding uh, uh, that they pay in, in in their currency, and with obliging countries, um, uh, America's share of the global petroleum market is is diminishing. And one way to offset or to counter such a thing would naturally be for to America to boost production of uh, oil. Uh, even if it's on a short-term basis to buy them, buy them some time, and I feel that that may very well be the motivation behind producing shale oil. So what I'm, so what I'm kind of saying here is shale oil might be being produced even if the economics don't support it, mm. simply because it acts as a big sponge, because America clearly won't be selling any oil, any shale oil anywhere. Uh, uh, to anyone in other than dollars, and isn't it, isn't it interesting that my my whole lifetime, you know, and I just turned 59, but my whole life America's been an oil importer, and, and America only became an oil exporter in the last year with shale oil, mm -hmm. which is the most expensive oil on the planet to produce. Okay. And, and, and that sort of sticks out like a sore thumb to me, and I can almost hear a bell ringing that, it, that it's, it's signaling trouble in the petrodollar market, and, and America needs, needs to produce this oil simply because they need to give foreign, other foreign countries a reason to hold dollars, and one, that's to buy American oil. One corroborating venue that you didn't mention was Saudi Arabia, and they're pivoting to the east as well. Yes. 
absolutely Saudi Arabia has been pivoting to the east. Saudi Arabia has been toying with the idea if they haven't already made made the purchases, uh, and, and that's for the Russian air missile defense system, the S-400, which is basically an American plane killer. Um, and uh, the, the other big, big issue is the, uh, is the legislation that's been floating around, uh, uh, you know, American uh, Congress to take away the sovereign immunity that OPEC countries have enjoyed uh, basically for rigging the price of oil and uh, because th there, there has been a want on the part of many, uh, many players for many, many years uh, to launch class action lawsuits against OPEC countries. And this, I mean, up, up until, or let's just say from 2000 or 2001 onward, these uh, OPEC countries have enjoyed immunity for for anything relating relating to oil and the mood the mood of congress under trump has been that this might you know this immunity might be revoked to which uh uh saudi arabia has issued stern warnings that if this were to occur that their support for the dollar going forward um, might very well be in question so and it's just another dollar not dollar friendly item on the menu the other big thing that's going on the uh, like Italian Italy is now run by populists, right? I don't know if you're aware. The Five Star Movement uh, is in control in Italy, so Italian Italian is now run by populist uh, people, and the populist people made a statement over the weekend that they viewed the sovereign Italian gold as belonging to. Oh yeah, the yeah. Pe the people, not not to the uh, not to not, the. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, so this 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 public statement was made uh, this weekend, but two weeks ago, Mario Draghi, and you know, like you gotta understand who Draghi is, okay? Because Draghi, he's Italian. He's the former finance minister of Italy, and two weeks ago he made a statement that. Uh, Nobody's nobody's allowed to do anything with a uh, with a reserve asset uh, unless they have the express written consent of the European Cent Central Bank. So no country that's a member of the euro can do anything with uh, with a reserve asset unless they have the uh, or given permission by the European Central Bank. Okay, so Draghi knew this was coming. Uh -huh. Draghi was the finance minister of Italy in 1998 when long-term capital went under. One of the big investors in long-term capital was the Bank of Italy, Central Bank, okay? And what happened was the Central Bank, to get money to invest in, in long-term capital, the Central Bank of Italy was advised by Goldman Sachs to lease gold. So they leased like 400 tons of gold. And when that happens, the gold gets sold into the market. So then they had the money. They invested the money with long-term capital. Long-term capital then went and made a huge bet on Russian bonds. The Russian government defaulted on the bonds. So now Italy didn't have the money and they didn't have the gold. Okay, so that had to be covered up because if it had become publicly known, the Italian 
sovereign finances were in really, really bad shape in 1998. And that's, that's what actually pushed them into doing the lease of the gold because they were going to invest the proceeds with a can't miss guaranteed return of the Nobel laureates running long-term capital. Okay. So if, if, if the, if the world knew that Italy lost the gold and the money, Italy wouldn't have qualified for the Euro and there wouldn't have been a Euro. There wouldn't have been a Euro. It would have been stillborn. Okay. So that all got covered up. And the guy, the guy who was long-term capital's legal counsel, chief legal counsel, was James Rickards. Okay, and and it was James Rickards who did the workout, very very on the hush hush, and everyone had to swear to silence, and that was worked out in the offices of the New York Federal Reserve, with Rickards acting as the point man. Okay, so that's so that's what, and 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 then, and then of course. Draghi was rewarded with it for his silence because Goldman Sachs made him the chairman of Goldman Sachs International, which is basically Goldman Sachs Europe. So he was bought off, and and Rickards, of course, Rickards, of course, runs around talking like he knows that gold's a great investment. Well, of course he knows it's a great investment. He knows he knows the chicanery that goes on in the gold market. But I mean, he's a very conflicted guy because he knows the kind of crap that goes on in the international gold market, but he can't talk about it. You see, because he's sworn to secrecy too, and he's part of the globalist. He's a Mr. Fix-It, he's the gimp. Rickards is the gimp for the, for the, for the globalists on the monetary front. He's a you know, plug and play. And if, you look, and if you look at where Rickards has appeared, if you read the guy's CV, it reads like something out of a superhero comic anyway. But I mean, you know, you know, you look at where Rickard shows up in history, okay? You, you read his own CV. He, he crows about being, uh, negotiating the release of the American hostages when, when they were taken, when Jimmy Carter was president at the fall, when, when the, uh, you know, when the Islamic uh, people took over in Iran, okay? Mm -hmm. He negotiated the release of the hostages, okay? So Jimmy Carter, he, you know, he was brought into the picture under the Carter administration, Democrat. Okay, he appears. He appears as the as the uh, long-term capital uh, chief legal counsel uh, when when long term's going down. Boy, just when there happened to be a Clinton, another Democrat in power. Okay, the guy the guy disappears off the radar for for the entire eight years of George W. Bush. Okay. And then he resurfaces like, like a stealth submarine, and becomes immediately becomes a media darling again when Obama, another Democrat, takes takes stage, eh? So, you know, and you know, and 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 where is old where is old handsome Jim been lately? Well, there's a Republican in the White House, so you don't see too much of Jim anymore. Okay. Anyway, all I'm saying, the guy is he's he's a complete democrat globalist tool and there's no other way i can describe him and he's an extremely conflicted guy and he can't talk honestly about like what he does is he mixes kernels kernels of truth like i can sit around and chuckle and make stories anecdotal stories about how good gold is you know but i mean and, and he does that so those are your kernels of truth 
But what does he pose as an alternative? What is it that stands out to you, if anything? What does Rickards propose as an alternative to the current system? Hmm, SDR. SDR. Yeah. SDRs. Every chance he gets, that's SDRs. Well, SDRs are controlled by the same guys that, that, that were in control of the fiat money system. So, so, so Rickards is saying that the globalists deserve a do-over. I don't believe they deserve a do-over. And Rickards, Rickards, you see, Rickards cannot sit down and talk, talk square and honestly about what's really occurred, because you know, Rickards, Rickards has, uh, Rickards has blackout, blackout areas where he's not allowed to talk. Okay, because everybody who was involved in that, everyone who was involved in that long-term capital workout, was sworn to secrecy. Okay, and 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 the only real leak that ever came out of it. Because John Merriweather, who ran it, and the Nobel laureates, nobody can get an interview with them. They don't talk, can't and won't, and never will talk about it. Hmm. And the only entity where anything ever leaked out of was a company called Bear Stearns. And they were some pissed because in the workout, in the workout, they, they, they realized, and it became obvious to them, that the, the, the boys were f***ing with gold. And everyone was everyone at that table was being asked to take a haircut, and the guys at Bear Stearns were crankier than shit. And they said, "Why should we take a haircut? Because you guys are with gold, you know. Like we got no, we got nothing to do with gold. We don't, we don't want to take a haircut over this because you guys with gold." So then, what happened? What happened in 2007 when 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 the subprime crisis blew up? Okay, Bear Stearns was taken down because they had subprime paper that failed. Okay, but you know what? Every investment bank in America were loaded to the gunnels with that shit. Hmm. Okay, Bear Stearns was taken down because they had subprime paper. Under, understand this also. When, when subprime failed, it was the first time in the history of credit markets in the entire history of humanity, it was the first time uh, AAA paper had ever failed. Mm -hmm. Okay, AAA paper does not fail. This was this was garbage paper. This was junk. This was shit that shouldn't even have been rated junk. And of course it failed. It was designed to fail. But Bear Stearns paid the price. Not Goldman Sachs. Not Merrill Lynch. Not Lehman Brothers. Not Morgan Stanley, they all got you know they all got got to get off, but but Bear Stearns was taken down because they weren't a team player back in 1998 when everyone had to take a take a haircut and shut up about it, and they squawked and it leaked, and it, and it leaked through it leaked through a uh, through a through a treatise that was written by uh, John Embry and Andrew Hepburn called Not Free, Not Fair, uh, uh, and it was published by Sprott, uh, Eric Sprott's company. So you see, anyway, and this all plays back into this Italy thing too, because everything is so convoluted and so twisted and tied together. Right, and uh, you mentioned in passing about the other world currencies um, that are in vying for the US, uh, potentially as a world reserve currency. What do you see 
playing out on the grand, or if you really back away from this, what's the real big picture happening about U.S. reserve currency status? Well, I mean, the world has had many reserve currencies like through through the last sort of five, six hundred years or, you know, or over very, very long time periods. And if one if one uh, if one looks at the the length of time other currencies have had as the world's reserve currency, and somebody sent me a graphic of this uh, done again, which which I might try to dig up uh, that you can maybe post with the uh, uh, with with the interview uh, just as a graphic. Mm -hmm. But if you look if you look at on a chart the amount of time that uh, previous six or seven or eight uh, currencies have had as, as their time in the sun, as the world's reserve currency, the block, the block that is the US dollar is the world's reserve currency, uh, is roughly the same size. And the funny thing is all, all, all of these sovereign currencies that enjoyed world reserve currency status the size of them and the length of time they all enjoyed this this time you know as 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 the big currency in the world the time the time that each one enjoyed it is virtually the same and it's it's uncanny when you look at the chart with with the blocks on the chart the blocks are taking up a time period on the chart and all the blocks are almost virtually identical in size and america's block on the chart looks to be looks to be sort of as big as any of them on the on the chart which which makes one wonder at least it makes me wonder if maybe things are winding up for the dollar as it's uh, as it's you know time in the sun as the world's reserve currency and you know and and to hasten that thought uh, or at least fuel for the fire for that thought done again for me in, in really, really recent times has been the evidence that's been uh, uncovered by Catherine Fitz and Dr. Skidmore uh, uh, that it's very likely that 21, minimum 21 trillion extra dollars have been printed out of thin air, are in existence and are hidden and siloed in black boxes like the Exchange Stabilization Fund and uh, because the, what it really comes down to, while we are told that dollars are scarce, and while we are told that dollars are in, you know, in bigger demand than supply, uh, you know, can satisfy. And I, I like to acknowledge that for people like you and I, Dunnigan, dollars or fiat currency isn't short supply because you know we're subject to things like you know paying income tax and reporting our income and anti-counterfeiting laws <laughs> and yeah anti-counterfeiting laws we can't print our own money uh, but isn't it interesting that after the revelations from uh catherine fitz and and dr skidmore uh where, where they've documented the 21 trillion uh, went through the books, unaccounted for money, went through the books of two government agencies, Department of Defense and Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, uh, that isn't it amazing, right after, right after they made these allegations, the White House ordered 
a full audit of the Department of Defense, first time in the history. And after this audit got underway, accounting regulations were re basically reformulated under FASB. Uh, so, so the regulators then made it okay that if something was to deal with national security, that basically the U.S. government didn't need to show us their financial books. So, so, so what's so while dollars, while dollars are made very dear to us, uh, the American government at the same time has been ex basically been excused of accounting. So, and this is on the back of, of allegations of 21 trillion extra dollars minimum of being created and and I would say siloed. So, while, while dollars are dear to us, I'm going to suggest that dollars aren't nearly as dear to the federal government in America as we might might have previously believed. And this intuitively makes a lot of sense to me anyway, Dunnigan. I look at the number of trillions that have been thrown into a black hole in the Middle East in, over the last 10 or 15 years. And we see, my, my intuition tells me that if dollars were really as scarce as you and I are led to believe, there's no way 7 trillion of them would have been thrown into that dark black hole. And, you know, but, but, if, but if one has a secret stash or has siloed uh, 21 or more trillion in, in dark places, one, one might be inclined to act as if, uh, as if they had an endless amount of money. And all I'm saying is the actions, the actions of the people calling the shots are more consistent with the notion that they, they believe money has no consequence and that they have an endless supply, more so than, than believing that money is scarce. And because money only seems to be scarce when it's when it's for the little people and when it can have an impact on prices in the domestic economy like it's fine to spend seven trillion blowing up stuff in the Middle East but you wouldn't want to let that seven trillion loose in the domestic economy because then you then you would really feel the effects of, of, of monetary inflation as in rising prices which which would without a doubt seal the deal that uh, you know, currency's been undermined. You know, it's not. It's all about the money. It's all about the money. It's all about the stewardship of the world's reserve currency. Like, unthinkable things have, have been done, and like, like, and it can't go on forever because the rest of the world, like, it's going to come to blows. The rest of the world isn't going to put up with this shit. And it, you know. And if it means there's going to be a nuclear war, then there will. Because you know what? The rest of the world ain't going to put up with this bullshit forever. You know, you guys get to be the kings. You guys get to print up. You guys get to print up more money than has ever been created in the world and have it as your secret stash to do whatever you want with whenever you want. Like the rest of the world, like already Russia won't sell any gold to, to like Russia will not allow the export of gold. Okay, like, so things are being withheld from the international market. You know why? Because they know they're mispriced. And they know they're not going to get fair value in return. And like, and if you think that if you think that's going to mysteriously change, 
It's not. It's 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 going to get worse. You know why? Because because they they don't trust the money. And they and they're not going to gain trust for the money with with the current with the current posture uh, of of any American administration. Because like and I mean Trump Trump knows that I I'm convinced that Trump knows this thing is completely off the rails. And he's he's basically trying to talk I think he's trying to talk the world down from a from a from a precarious ledge, because I think he knows how how badly screwed up everything is. But what can he do? He can't come out and say it's we're all toast. Or then it becomes a then it becomes a self fulfilling thing overnight. There there be there be World War Eight overnight, and, and so so he can't do that. And plus, so much of this shit is is by definition national security, and he's not allowed to uh, he's not allowed to divulge national like as a president he can't do that. <coughs> so a lot of what you're talking about it reminds me of the the basic uh, premise and the adage about uh, do what they watch what they do and not what they say watch where the money is going. So if people ordinary ordinary people like me or people who who are listening to this uh, realize that they're not going to be able to know all this stuff, but they go, well, the people who are in the know, if they see what the Russians are doing, what the Chinese are doing, what the Indians they're are doing. They're hoarding whatever. gold. Yep. They're so. hoarding gold. And man, like they're hoarding gold because they have information, you and I, they have information that's not widely available. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like, I mean, I, I do, I do my own research. I do my own research and I have faith in my own work. And, you know, and I know people, I know people that work with them. And, uh, you know, I know, I know what their sentiments are. You know, like I, I know, I know for a fact, China, China will not take one stick. They will not take one bar of gold from the West without resmelting it. Okay. Not one bar. Every ounce of gold that they procure from the West, which is a lot, it's all remelted and reassayed. Every bit of it, because they don't even trust—they don't trust the LBMA to give them bars that are pure, or what they're purported to be. So anyway, and that's a fact. Okay, that is a complete fact. So why all the distrust? No, think about it. Tungsten, tungsten lace bar. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.